get in trouble for talking. Welcome to Horror Cats and Witch Hats. Thanks for joining us again and coming back. It's Katie and Izzy. And uh, it's it's good to have you back. <laughs> it's been a long week. I can't believe it's March already. Oh, I know. Andy's birthday is in like two weeks. Oh, it's like actually, a, it's a week from Sunday. <laughs> my oldest kitty turns nine this week. Next month. Oh my goodness, catching up to Lydia's age. Lydia's our old gangster lady. Bunch of teenagers. Yeah, she's missing a chunk out of her ear. She used to be an outside cat, street fighter. And, uh... Scrapping. I want to take a picture of it and send it to you and see if I can get, like, a proper picture, because it makes me think of a pirate whose, like, earring was ripped out of their ear. (laughs) Or, like, any bat ever in any Disney movie is always missing, like, a crackle of their ear. That's exactly. Yeah. So, for this first episode of the month, we will continue to do This Month in Horror History. There are a lot of uh, birthdays. There are a lot of people born in March, apparently. (laughs) Those lucky people that are born. We're going to start off with the biggest crush of mine ever and, uh also best known as Dean Winchester. Jensen Ackles, the actual actor, he he was born in March. Uh, he's from Supernatural, if you didn't know, and you should watch that if you don't. Uh, next is Zack Snyder. He directed the remake of Dawn of the Dead. He's a really wonderful director. I actually love him a lot. He's my brother's favorite director, and he also did Sucker Punch and The Watchmen. William N. M. Games, who is the creator of Mad Magazine and also a publisher of the EC line of comics, it, he's uh he basically made like tales from the crypt comics which is really cool in the in the vault of horror and then paul ws anderson if you love the resident evil movies he's the director of uh well he wrote directed and produced uh all of the resident evil movies basically and he's married to um mia mila jovovich <laughs> i was ter- i'm terrible at her name but she's the star she's alice in um resident evil so go figure she's the main star of all of his movies which i think is great one of my favorite actresses in the entire planet um best known as the voice for as sally in a nightmare before christmas is Catherine o'hara she's also in beetlejuice and uh home alone does the voice of the mom in monster house i love her she's wonderful she's hilarious um <laughs> and then we have gunner hansen who played the original Leatherface. so shout out to him happy uh, happy birthday slash he's already dead it's okay uh he was he was a wonderful man he did great at acting i put this one in here because i'm obsessed with uh, ginger snaps have you seen ginger snaps i had never even heard of it before <laughs> it's one of my biggest guilty pleasures in the world it's a terrible werewolf, uh, werewolf movie but it's hilarious it's on amazon prime you should go watch it it's really great and uh the actresses are really pretty but it's it's John Fawcett's birthday, and uh, Rob Rayner's birthday is or well in this month he was born. He did Misery and Princess Bride. Do you remember watching Princess Bride like all of the time? Uh, still do. Saw it. Yeah, I at do a movie theater. They do retro nights. Oh, which cool! Was so cool to see it on a big screen in like the recliner chairs. I bet it was awesome. They should do that with more movies. That would have been so much fun when it's safe. I guess. Uh, do you remember back in the day when we watched The Mummy and The Mummy Returns? Because I had the biggest crush on Brendan Fraser. Um, well, it, yeah. I had a big yeah. crush on The Mummy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, that uh, movie it, freaked me out. And you were always like, let's watch it. And I, I liked it. I loved it. But it, the part where he, and I don't know, just all the scenes where he's the CGI mummy part really freaked me out as a kid. And I wanted to watch it, but it freaked me out. I loved those movies. But anyways, it's not Brandon Fraser. He wasn't born this month, but it's Rachel Weisz um, who played um, Evie. I love her. She was great. Do you remember that time where we would watch the remake of the live remake of Scooby-Doo like every single weekend and we would dance to the songs in the credits? Um, Connor still watches that every That's weekend. Awesome. That's one of his favorite movies. Good. It should be. It's Freddie Prince Jr. He was born this month. 
He so. is also husband to Sarah Michelle Gellar, our favorite Buffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been in so many movies together, and they're married, and they're a cute little couple, and I love it. Uh, it's Brittany Snow's birthday. We went and saw the movie in theaters together way back in 2008. <clears throat> Prime Fun, night. good times. That was that movie scared me for a minute. I really liked that movie. I don't think... I thought it was great. It, it was a remake. I don't think people rated it very well. Uh, but no, I they didn't. I really liked that movie. I rewatched it the other day and was like, yep, still good. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Um, the the Gomez Adams that I grew up with, Raul Julia, um, rest his soul, he was wonderful. He was born in March. Um, Anton Yelnick, who uh, is best known for like the Star Trek. He's the German kid in Star Trek. I always forget his name and can't say it right. But he also is in Green Room and Odd Thomas. He died uh, just a little while ago. He was only like 28, 29 or something like that. Or no, I lied. He was in his 30s. But he was a great actor. He had a heart attack before the third Star Trek or something to that effect. Heart attack? No, no, no. He got crushed by his car. Oh. Well, he died before the third one came out. That's all I got. Yeah, he, well, yeah, it was the weirdest story. People think he kind of committed suicide because he went to go get his mail, but his car rolled down the um, driveway and it crushed him. (laughs) Yeah, it's really sad. And uh, he was a wonderful actor. Biggest shout out of all Danny from Hocus Pocus, Thora Birch. It was, she was born in March and I have always wanted to dress up as Danny for Christmas or Halloween for Christmas for Halloween but I uh, haven't and I still want to do it I'm gonna make that costume (laughs) um Mercedes McNabb who uh is in Buffy he she's best known for doing Harmony (laughs) oh Harmony that terrible woman she gets gets even bigger in the comics her plot oh really Mm -hmm. that's cool she like outs vampirism Oh. And gets all these TV spots and stuff. She would. She was so bougie. <laughs> she did get to sleep with Spike a lot, which kind of makes me jealous. That's cool, though. Kevin Williamson, one of the coolest people in my head because he is the writer and producer of Scream and Scream 2 and Scream 4, and I know what you did last summer. I have Ghostface tattooed on my arm for a very specific reason because I love it. I think he's a wonderful character, and so... Kevin Williamson, thank you for being born in March. Greg Nicotero, who is the um, executive producer and head makeup artist for The Walking Dead. He was born in March, which I think is cool. And uh, the producer, writer, director, and oars, (laughs) uh, Rennie Heron, he did The Exorcist. Uh, He also did Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, which is really cool, and Deep Blue Sea, which is a terrible shark movie, but one of the sharks in the movie swims by and bites the dorsal fin off of another shark. don't like Deep Blue Sea? I fucking love Deep Blue Sea. It's just a terrible movie. Why is it terrible? I love Deep Blue Sea. It's an awesome movie. And it has LL Cool J as the cook, and he stabs the shark in the eye with his crucifix. (laughs) Why would you say it's a terrible movie? Because... The CGI of the sharks is terrible. And that's coming from somebody whose biggest fear is the shark. There are plenty of movies with awful CGI that oh, 100%. are still- It came out in 99. How can you judge their CGI? That was like the prime CGI. That, that was movie the prime CGI is time. great. It's one of my favorite I shark love movies. that movie. I don't- I, I agree. After and... this, go wash your mouth out. <laughs> yes, mom. Find a shark that's CGI'd and apologize to it. No. Back to people that were born in March, after our little tantrum. Uh, it is Merce- uh, Mercedes Cambridge, who does the voice of Pazuzu, um, who is the demon in The Exorcist, like the demon voice that comes out of Reagan. So she does the voice. not. But the fun little fact here is she was born on March 16th, 1916, but she died on March 2nd, 2004. So she died, or she was born and died in the same month, which I think is really interesting. I don't know why. I just think that's kind of cool. The voice of the original Chucky, Ch- Chucky, <laughs> the voice of the original Chucky is uh, Bad Dorif. Brad Dorif. I can't speak today. Brad Dorif. He's also in the remake of Halloween. He's in Rob Zombie's Halloween, uh, which I think is kind of cool. He he plays Sheriff Brackett. 
also Gary Oldman, who is in the 1992 Dracula, who is actually Dracula. He's also Sirius Black and Harry Potter. And then we're going to go back to Buffy because it's Allison Hannigan. She was born in March. She plays Willow. And we love our Wiccan Willow. Beautiful. Mm. Beautiful human. Also an iconic director, white writer, and producer of horror, uh, Quentin Tarantino. He was born in March, which I think is cool. He did a lot of great movies. I love his movies. They're very interesting. And he's only, I think he's on like only number nine or ten of directing, I think. He only does specific movies and they're normally really long and really bloody. And he always makes an appearance and he has a foot fetish. So a lot of the time you see him with feet around his face. It's kind of gross. <laughs> so yeah, Quentin Tarantino. Fun little facts you didn't know. And if you love Shaun of the Dead like I do, I have a little figurine of Shaun of the Dead. Um, it's Nick Frost. He was Nick Frost was born in March. Um, he plays Ed in Shaun of the Dead. And I love that he just keeps he keeps the zombie Ed in the shed. Oh, I'm rhyming over here. <laughs> but so they can play video games and stuff. I think that's cute. But yeah, they were all born in March. There are a lot of others, a lot of others, but I uh, I kind of had to trim it down a little because that's a lot still. I think it's pathetic that you consider that trimmed down. <laughs> it's like a page and a half. <laughs> it is. Hey, it was three pages, dude. Those who died, Jackie Coogan, best known for his role as Uncle Fester on the TV, the TV series, not the movies. TV yeah, series. Yeah, he's the original, original Fester. Of the Addams Family. Um, he passed away at 69. H.P. Lovecraft, the father of modern horror he passed away at the age of 46 he was cthulhu well he he wrote cthulhu and all that great beautiful masterpieces of horror frederick wilhelm murnau uh, died at 42 he directed nosferatu which was also released in march <laughs> he got sued for that movie <laughs> so Okay, so I'm um, released during March. So Nosferatu was released. Nosferatu was released on March fourth, nineteen twenty-two. But it was basically kind of a ripoff. They didn't get the rights, the proper rights, to secure everything for the adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. So they changed a bunch of little things, including the ending. But because it was obviously about a like a a, a vampire who does all this stuff. It was too obvious. And so Bram Stoker's widow, um, she sued them. Uh, and after a very public trial, apparently he was ordered to destroy all of the prints and the negatives of the of Nosferatu. Oh but gosh. because he missed, quote unquote, missed a few, like one or two, it's the only reason we still have a copy of that movie today. And so it will be 100 years old next year. Yeah. But I think that's the craziest story. So he just because he happened to miss a couple when he was destroying them, we still have Nosferatu to this day, and it's actually a wonderful movie. So going on, Creature from the Black Lagoon in 1954. Uh, one of the many tales from the crypt was released uh, in March. Children of the Corn from in 1984. The, the remake of Dawn of the Dead we were talking about with Zack Snyder. Uh, so the remake of Dawn of the Dead was premiered in 2004 in March. The remakes of both The Hills Have Eyes and The Hills Have Eyes 2 were done in March. Resident Evil was released. Dead Silence, um, a movie that helped me pass one of my literature classes because I memorized the poem that goes with the movie. <laughs> uh, the Cabinet of Dr. Calgary was released in 1921. Um, it was filmed in 1920 and originally released as Das Cabinet Das Dr. Tor. Anyways, it's 100 years old. Stay Alive is a movie that we have to talk about. Stay Alive is one of my all-time favorite movies. It's absolutely terrible, but it's hilarious. Um, it was released in 2006, and it's literally about a video game that if you... It's a lot... Well, it's about Elizabeth Bathory, originally, if you know, remember who that is. It's Bathory, but good try. Bat. Thanks. A Haunting in Connecticut in 2009. The Birds, Alfred Hitchcock's The Bird. Birds was released in 1963. Phantasm in 1979, which my mother-in-law was talking about, uh, talking to me about when she was listening to our podcast. Shout out, Michael. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Love you. 
She's in Hawaii, and I'm really jealous about it. And also, Beetlejuice was released in March in 1988, and that movie is amazing, and to this day, still one of the best movies around. Additionally, Alfred Hitchcock uh, got his first Hollywood contract in March, and with that, he created Rebecca. And March 12th is actually considered Alfred Hitchcock Day. For fun fun things, uh, Wicca this month is Ostara, is March 19th to the 23rd, and that's the spring equinox. And that is the holiday of renewal and abundance. This is when the goddess represents her maiden aspect and when the god has become a young man. It's a great time for planting seeds and celebrating the fertile spring. On March 28th, the worm moon is the first full moon in the month of March. And this is called the worm moon most commonly because it is when the ground begins to thaw and earthworms reappear. I think Native Americans called it that first southern native american tribes because northern native american tribes they actually didn't have earthworms they didn't exist up here for a long time sweet it's also called the sap moon or the sugar moon because that's when maple trees start to weep they're sweet sap and that will not in any way segue us into our movie for this week so antebellum came out in 2020 so it's fairly new Uh, It is streaming on Hulu if you have a subscription. If you're not clued into what the movie is about already, Antebellum is a term used to define the time uh, pre-Civil War in America. So basically slavery. uh, Which should tell you everything about the mood of this movie just to kick off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The directors and writers of this film are Gerard Bush. Gerard Bush uh, has been secured to direct a movie called Rapture, which will come out sometime this year or next year. Um, Most of his other credits are shorts. He is an African-American, which is notable for two reasons. One, there's a serious lack of representation in the film industry, both in front and behind the camera. For reference, the Criterion Collection, which is a company that like produces a lot of the DVDs and things. So they've made 1,000 films by yeah. more than 450 directors, but only four of them have African-American directors. Damn, uh, holy shit. Yeah, that is wildly <laughs> inconsistent. Um, this is less than 1% of that group. There are only eight black directors represented in the collection at all. Uh, Four of them are American and four of them are um, not American. (laughs) Uh, The New York Times reported there were more directors in the Criterion Collection with the last name Anderson than there were African Americans. God. That's wild. That's that's fucking dumb and ridiculous and in so many ways. And I I don't think it's until probably this year or this past year that people have really started to target this as an issue and try and fix it or try to create change for it. The second reason that I think it's important that he was an African-American who made this is that it's a story about race from a person of color. And I think there are a lot of stories that try to capture the experience of being black Uh, But they're done by white directors and writers, which isn't bad per se, but there is a higher chance for bias and like whitewashing or just not hitting things correctly. So I think it's great that it's a story about the black experience from a black person. Um, He would have all the insights that we don't have as white people. Yes, he can probably express it a lot better than we can. Yeah. (laughs) Christopher Renz was the partner director and writer. He has done a lot of Gerard Bush projects, and they do a lot of, like, social movement type shorts together. This was their first. So basically, they're the perfect pair. Yeah, they they do a lot together. Renz, the only thing that I really would have recognized him for was that he directed the music video Love Lies. Uh, with Khalid and Bomani, which great song. 
going into the uh, cast, the female lead is played by Janelle Monet, who is a wonderful actress and the most beautiful woman. She's a triple threat with being an actress, a model, and a singer. So, you know, she's just kind of good at everything. <laughs> she was in Hidden Figures and Moonlight, which uh, both were Academy nominees and one w- was winning, which is really cool. And she performed at the 2020 Oscars. So, you know, she's just that cool. <laughs> uh, she also got to receive, or she received the Breakthrough Award at the 10th Annual Essence Black Woman in Hollywood event, which, um, shout out to her, that's fucking awesome. And that was in February of 2017. Uh, she got mercury poisoning in February from uh, a pescatarian diet. Uh, the, f- the male lead is Eric Lang, and uh, he's in a lot of he's in a lot of TV shows. Uh, so Jenna Malone, she plays the character Elizabeth, who is the main white uh, female white supremacist, I guess you could say. Yeah, she's uh, crazy. She is most notable to me for her role as Joanna Mason in the Hunger Games movies. Yes, I love her though. She's wonderful in the Hunger Games. Redheads unite. Yeah. Yep. She's badass. And there's other people, but those are the three main main characters that you see a lot. Oh, Katie. Yeah. Meow. So, <clears throat> going into the meat of the movie, and basically just telling you what it's about, uh, you start <laughs> the synopsis, you know. <laughs> um, so, the beginning of the movie starts off in a Civil War era plantation, and uh, the plantation is the same one that's actually used in Django Unchained. That was like the first thing I noticed. Have you seen that one? I have seen it. I did not know that. That's awesome though. They're at a plantation and it's based around this, uh, you start off seeing this girl and she's a slave named Eden and she is portrayed by uh, Monet and she's tormented, sexually abused and prosecuted at the hands of these horrible racist slave owners who have taken over this plantation basically. And, you know, civil war, the South. (laughs) Yeah. And so you kind of deal with that, and then all of a sudden she goes to sleep, and she has, like, this dream of the contemporary modern America, basically everything that's going on now. And it's uh, uh, it goes off on this girl, this renowned scholar named Veronica, who is also Monet, very success- successful businesswoman, very smart into the whole, like, psychology of race and everything like that. Um, and she gets abducted on this business trip that she goes on. Uh, and she takes the wrong uber which is a terrifying situation that i feel like a lot of people probably put themselves in if they're not paying attention to the who their uber is um but then all of a sudden the 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 two stories like converge perfectly in the most weird and not exactly what i not what i was expecting kind of twist it was really interesting and uh that's my effort of not giving away the ending (laughs) So we've never not given away the ending because we have to talk about it anyways. So yes, what true. you find out is that she gets kidnapped and the plantation she's on at the beginning um, is not a Civil War plantation. It's not like a previous life or a dream. It's present day. She gets kidnapped by the white supremacist Jenna Malone and her spouse and dad or whatever, I guess, runs some sort Whole of family crazy, crazy thing. people. And they are kidnapping intelligent, outspoken black men and women successful and putting them to work on this plantation where they randomly bring in other white males through confederate outfits um and in the beginning you can hear cannons and war Mm -hmm. going on and then they have this big party with a bunch of confederate soldiers um and at the end you figure out that this made-up hidden plantation is on the edge of a reenactment battlefield in antebellum and that's where she escapes yeah riding off on horse but i completely agree i so when i like movies or like i'm excited about movies i do not look them up i don't watch trailers for things um, so I go in not knowing at all what's going to happen. Agreed. And so I knew very little about this movie. And it's labeled as a horror movie. I don't know if I'd classify it as that knowing now. 
what it is personally what about you i'd say i'd say it's more just like a psychological thriller yes because because it's the idea of it's getting in your head and you're like this is the life of a slave and this is what she has to go through and she doesn't get to take credit for her own name or anything like that and then all of a sudden you realize she's been kidnapped and she's a successful shit woman and she's being held by these people who still have cell phones i think a lot of well not i think but i'm pretty sure so it's big make me sound dumb but a lot of like the cast of the the reenactments and stuff like that they were all a part of this and i wonder if some of them this is me thinking off screen if like some of them had no idea and they thought that was just like continuation of their fake little roles um so i was gonna get there eventually but you kind of just sorry jumped right in there but uh i well my husband tyler the first thing he said was, it's kind of like Westworld, um, if you've seen that TV show. But I have not. Basically, it's just rich people paying for the experience of doing whatever they want. My hypothesis is that the Confederate soldiers that this family brings in um, to do whatever they will, they meet them probably through the reenactment or they just use the reenactment as a guise to cover up what they're doing um but i think it's just a bunch of white people or white men specifically none of them were females who are just bored and want to be able to do horrible things because they're awful yeah sounds like some of the people in our world today still oh wait this movie was based on today But this is another movie that is based on a dream by a director is he felt like this dream was being gifted to him by his ancestors and that's why it was a story that he had to tell it's a good story like it's very it's really interesting it's just nothing like i expected when going into this movie (laughs) yes because at the beginning you don't see any futuristic things like you really think they're back in the day and then it jumps to present day and you're like is she dreaming? Is she a witch? Is she... Is this, is this like a just past a different life? life? Converging? Yeah. What the heck is happening? Um, and then there's a part where in the present day, Jenna Malone's character sends her daughter who is complicit. Well, if you can be complicit, what is she? Like seven to nine in that movie? Um, she Dude, I her, wouldn't even say that. Like maybe six. She sends her daughter into the hotel looking like a ghost like this creepy girl ghost and she's dragging a doll house style uh, yeah on a leash (laughs) through the elevator and the main character who's veronica at that point talks to her and is like oh hey how are you and she's just creepy so i was like boom now they're starting to tie it in it's like a haunting (laughs) no yeah she was just being creepy for no reason yeah but it uh... and then there's this big overarching idea like we said it's uh, outspoken influential black men and women who are being kidnapped and the whole idea is that while they're on this plantation they aren't allowed to speak they can't talk to each other they can only talk when a white person gives them permission to do so so it's just like they're being silenced in the only way mm-hmm. these people think they know how to is brutality (laughs) yeah Um, but I thought the other part of the little girl being included um, one it was to kind of start cueing the audience into like what the heck was going on but Mm -hmm. also it shows that like racism is taught and that's how it continues to persist because it's taught and passed down through generations exactly what I thought was interesting, I don't know if you thought about it, but they renamed Veronica Eden when she was on the plantation. And the older man who's like, I guess, running this operation had a particular fondness of her. Mm-hmm. And he makes a comment where he's like, no one's ever going to take you away from me again or something. But I was curious as to why they picked the name Eden. Because they're supposed to like, they hate these people right for no other reason than their color but they named her eden which is 
the beginning of life, essentially, if you're religious. So I thought that was mm. interesting. I'm sure someone much more intellectual than I am could uh, put that together. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, going back to the comment of the father really liking her, um, Elizabeth makes a comment in that when they're in their their little female fighting scene, where she's always like, where she's like, "Daddy always has to have his favorites." she was like really mad that she wasn't the favorite i think it was more just that she felt like it was a waste of their resources to put all the attention on one person was the take i got from it but i could also see if she was just being a jealous daughter see that's my thing i i i don't know i <laughs> that actor that actress she has like a permanent like scowl always and so like i feel like it's always like a jealous scowl and so like i think she's always jealous and i think that's just what comes from what i see from her i think she just <laughs> was getting annoyed with her dad and wanted to take over and run things the way that she wanted to yeah but ultimately having that favorite would be his downfall so yippee yeah um, so obviously this movie kind of seeks to draw a line between the racial disparities of present day and like the past and like the fact that it still is here today. Basically, we can say that African Americans are free, but they aren't. There's always going to be such a racial prejudice against them. From yes, they aren't experiencing others. the same freedom as white people. <laughs> No, and it's not fair, and it's really sad to see that. But um, In an interview, Renz, the other director, says, In the American school system, black history begins at slavery, and there is nothing before. Um, he Did you hear about the uh, story here where there was a school that literally tried to say that you didn't have to participate in black history and learning black history? <laughs> you know what? I'm not surprised. Oh, it was terrible. Renz goes on to say that he felt it was important for them that Veronica provide the modern context for that before, which I had to really think about because I was like, well, she, her story literally starts with slavery at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> but right. I figure what he meant was through the ending, you figure out that she her story actually starts with her being kidnapped. So before that, she's just living her life and being perfectly having successful. a normal life and successful and just living the dream. And then she gets wrenched from that life and tossed into just this awful slave situation. And that is basically what happened to... Not basically. That is what happened <laughs> to yeah. the original Africans that were brought over. Um, they were just living their best life. And I do like the idea that he brings up that black history in America specifically. I can't speak for other countries. Um, starts at slavery because it's true we learn about european history you get great depth in european history and they touch on how europeans colonized africa and that's basically how we ended up getting into the slave business and then that's it you don't learn about traditional africa so i thought that was well, it's the same. It's the same way in a lot of like movies and TVs from back in the day. Because and Bush even he like talk and he he hits on this and he talks about it. And many others believe that certain Hollywood classics like Gone with the Wind, which is one of my mom's absolutely favorite movies in this world, planet. It's very well known. It's quoted daily. Um, I think it's considered the highest gross if you account for fluctuation in money. Right. Like I think it's one of the highest grossing films in history. I believe you are correct, but. You know, they believe it it's it's is silently aiding and abetting the the like atrocious practices of slavery and everything like that. And so when Antebellum came out, it's basically the exact opposite and it's making you for like face it head on with everything that it's showing you compared to everything that you don't see in Gone with the Wind of that side. I had recently read an article on the airplane because I'm one of those weird people who actually reads those magazines. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the American Airlines magazine, American Way. And it was called A Tale of Two Charlestons, written by Michael Harriet. And he discusses visiting plantations uh, that are famous tourist spots. 
and he hmm. like he went to some where they actively do weddings and there's tons of tourists that go through and walk through these places and comment on how beautiful these homes are right and he talks about how historically uh the tours tend to focus solely on the white families that owned the plantation and their successes and what happened to the home and who it was passed down to and whatnot. And they tend to gloss over entirely at the slave history. Um, they're just like, oh, there were people who worked here and made cotton, which built this plantation. Um, but after the Mother Emanuel A&E Church massacre and George Floyd, there's been a big push for these places to make an effort to emphasize the history of the slaves and their narratives. No, it's I just going back to like that article that you read. I if they were to do like and make an eff- like an emphasis on the narratives of the slaves and everything, I'd be curious if they'd take them through like any of the quarters, like the slave quarters. Because I think that'd be really interesting. Because I I mean I don't know what the tours are like in the first place, but I can't imagine that's some place they'd go to. Part of that historical thing is they hire historians. Um, they, most of them, I think, are trying to get documentations of all the slaves that worked there at any point or were bought or sold through there so that, one, people can track their family history, but two, to give them uh, proper tribute. Like, just recently in the past five years, went through and pulled out artifacts from the slave cabins. Oh, and yeah. to me, that's like, so weird that they didn't do that earlier but maybe it's better they did it now because then it can get preserved and um, correctly documented or attributed to people mm-hmm. some places split it into two tours where you can do either like the slave experience tour or the plantation home tour i mean you could do them both but like they split it right just based off the experience but i still think that is a little weird only because you're still allowing people to choose to ignore that other option. Like, yes, they can walk right. by it. And if you're doing a wedding there, you can take your pictures away from those signs. It's still rooted in that building because their work paid for that building. And oh, yeah. I don't think people should be allowed to just ignore it. it they have to show it. They have to be shown it. <laughs> yeah. I would agree. This film was done at the Evergreen Plantation, uh, which is in Louisiana. And like you said, it's been used for other films and things. I think it's mm-hmm. very well maintained. Um, but I think yeah, they're it's... one of the ones <laughs> that is trying to do better historically. It would make sense. It's one of the, the most like intact plantation complex in the South. Um, and apparently there's Counting out all of this, there's 37 buildings on the nat- uh, National Register for, like, historic places, and um, it includes 22 slave cabins, which, you know, at least they're including that. It's a lot of slave cabins, though. <laughs> but um, it's not a lot when you consider how many that were getting crammed into those 22. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's not counting how many were to a cabin. Yeah. Um. But it is still a working sugarcane plantation, and uh, more than 400 individuals were enslaved at the Evergreen Plantation over 150 years, which is really, really sad. I find it interesting, you know, 22 cabins. Yeah, I find it interesting that it's still a working sugarcane plantation. I just don't picture these places being, like, flourishing. Right. Yeah. Because of the Um, bad history behind it. Yes. But in addition (laughs) to ensuring proper history, the Evergreen Plantation and those who run it, uh, on their website, they do have a slave database so people can search for family members or historians can do their own research. They have like a historical project where they document as many narratives of slaves that they can track uh, and all sorts. They have lots going on. It's pretty neat. Um, and you know kind of giving further homage to Gone with the Wind they use similar lenses in the film with Antebellum 
for the uh, the like era scenes of looking like it's back in the Civil War era. And there's a there's a there's a signboard a signboard advertising the reenactment park. And so um, you know it serves as a, as a reference to similar board displaying Gone with the Wind because you see like the like the names of like homes because all of the plantations were always named. Yeah, so so they kind of go back to use some of the Gone with the Wind techniques to kind of like pay tribute or maybe kind of put a similar idea in your mind of the two of being like, here's what you see in the white side of things, but this is what you're not seeing. I Yeah, I like that idea. But I wouldn't know because I've honestly never seen Gone with the Wind. I've sat through it with my mom a hundred different times and I also watched it in a film and literature class. But uh, Jenna Malone said that she watched Gone with the Wind to get inspiration for her white supremacist part, for the parts where she was yeah. on the plantation. I could see it. I and could definitely see that. The thing that I appreciated the most, uh, besides the like beautiful filming technique that they did for their shots a lot, mm-hmm. uh, they did a lot of background easter eggy type things um, to include black artists and creators throughout the film Um, for example when she's doing yoga in modern day she's wearing the brand ivy park uh, which is an athletic line by beyonce Uh, i wish i could afford that athletic line (laughs) i think i think those little tributes that they make to promote inclusion and representation were really well done and well placed i agree uh there are some articles uh that are titled like antebellum a slavery revenge film or similar things Uh, but bush has really said that he wants to stress the difference between revenge and justice yeah not the same thing and it's not revenge (laughs) He is quoted as saying, often in America, we as black people are unable to achieve justice through the authorities or government, which preach. We've all seen it. I was going to say, everybody's seen this happen, in the, especially the last year, but it's been going on this entire time. And he goes on to say that at the end, she's on this horse galloping across the reenact, like the true reenactment as it's going and she's wearing a union soldier jacket and she's wielding this axe that she had just used and she's covered in blood Mm -hmm. Um, but his point to that scene is that even though she survived and she got her quote-unquote justice because she does end up killing uh, the supremacist elizabeth she did not make it through unscathed which is the experience in america and I think that this is true um, for people of color, uh, those who report sexual assault. They, there's like no way to get justice for that without coming away just ragged. <laughs> um, yeah. And particularly for those of color who report sexual assault, uh, which is just a side note. But uh, yeah, they... They did a lot in this movie. Um, I don't know if it all all their messages got across to me specifically. Um, I feel like they tried to push a lot into one film. Yeah. And some of it's really obvious. Like in the modern day, they have a lot of the... I think what we white people would consider like minor details of racism like she's uh, veronica is sitting in front of a she's on a video call and she had just put on this lipstick and the woman the white woman says oh that lip color looks so great with your skin tone and then yeah they like they go to dinner and her and her friends get put in this corner awful table right next to like the dirty dishes and the terrible grossness and like all those little things that they show are like common experiences uh, that probably for us we wouldn't even notice them um, as being uh, perceived as racism 
like the lady who sat them, the white female waiter who was mm-hmm. sitting them was like, I don't understand what's wrong. It's just a table. There's three of you. There's three. <laughs> um, yeah. but she didn't see that. Uh, but that's what they were perceiving, which makes it true. Perceived racism mm-hmm. is still racism. Uh, going back to Bush, he also said in another, in another interview that um, our intention for the film was to serve as a prescription, like a medicine, a catharsis. Um, it's important that we get that we get to a place in this country where we have the courage and the determination to confront our past, specifically this country's origin, like original sin of all of that. Um, and if we have any hope for living in the present without being haunted by the past. So it's hope for the future in general for every person to live happily and in peace and deserves that but Uh, that comment reminded me of uh, one of my favorite books called Beloved by Toni Morrison like it's a very different storyline but I got a similar message from that novel as what they were attempting to get through with this movie which like Katie just said is the uh, like your past never goes away and you're always haunted by it um, and the only way to do anything with it is to face it you you take what you learn or what you did in the past you learn from it and you become a better person from that um, but this and, uh... a lot of people have drawn correlations between this movie and a book called Kindred by Octavia Butler uh, which came out many years ago And I guess it has a similar storyline where it's a present-day African-American being tossed into slavery, like the slavery timeline. I don't know if it's done the same way where it's like modern-day slavery (laughs) Um, or if she like literally gets tossed into antebellum time. Um, But I've heard good things about the book. Haven't personally read it. If you have, tell me about it. Yeah, I'd love to hear about I'm it. I'm going to add it to my book list. I will say, not not everyone feels like the message came across in the movie, and I'm sure we missed some of those messages. But, for example, in an article in Vulture, written by Angelica Jade, is it Bastien? Bastien? Bastien, probably. Bastien. Uh, well, she argued that this movie actually felt very short in that regard. So It didn't quite hit. The way that yeah, I think they had intended. Thank you. <laughs> I literally lost my train of thought right there. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, I I appreciated their parallels that they drew and uh, the work they put into showing the perception of racism um, that a white person probably misses. But I still feel like they could have done more in that article uh angelica she wrote that antebellum is full of not only aesthetic and narrative failures but moral ones it implicitly argues that depictions of suffering are the best means of understanding what it means to be black in america and that got me thinking about trevor noah the I don't know, Daily Show, Night Show, whatever show he runs, on that show once talked about representation in movies. And I think it was when, don't quote me, because I don't know and I didn't look it up. I think it was when Shell came out and people were upset that Scarlett Johansson was playing what should have been played by a Asian or Japanese Chinese character or something like that. Um, oh, okay. I know what movie you're talking about now. Yeah, but his point was that people aren't upset that uh, she she specifically is playing it, but people are upset because as a white woman, she has a wide variety of roles that she can get, but for uh, Asian women or Japanese, Chinese women, that was literally the only role that they could get like because mm-hmm. of the way that the film industry is they get roles specifically written for them and whereas white women can just walk in and be like hey i like that role and they're more likely to get it Uh, Mm -hmm. but this movie to me pushes that same idea um, because it's filled with people of color but these people of color are 
in worlds of slavery, they are like even though they're depicting intelligent, successful, outspoken people, that's still the roles they're getting put into. Um, and I think that's going to continue for a while while America deals with race. But Especially because it's such a hot topic right now with everything that's been going on. Exactly. And there's still people who deny it. Mm. Um, mm. But the goal is that someday we'll be able to watch movies with African-American stars that are main picture and they're in there just because they were the best for the role and their role doesn't turn into a commentary about race much like right you know but that would that's the dream uh someday we'll get there hopefully but overall i thought it was an okay movie i like, I went in thinking it was going to be a legitimate horror movie um, with mm-hmm. hauntings. And I knew it was a psychological thriller, but I thought it was going to be more haunting horror. Like Shutter Island kind of psychological thriller. Uh-huh. Um, so I was wildly unprepared for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. When I was like watching it, I was like, what? Um, I kept okay. waiting for something to happen. And then when the little girl walks in and she's all spooky, I'm like, yes, now it's starting. Finally, Yeah. And and then it was the transition between like past and present that you see is insane though. I think that's such a cool transition with the way that they did that. Yes, and I liked that at the end, uh, when she's back on the plantation, you start being able to make connections between the first third of the movie and mm-hmm. that point. Um, but I like I said, I just feel like the plot itself was lacking, and some of the like that whole center piece where she's hanging out with her friends. There was a lot of dialogue in there that I felt like could have been better used, but that's my opinion. <laughs> Fair. I love, I also, I really like the way that they started to like introduce the idea that like, no, we're not in civil era, like civil war era. We're in modern era times with like the alarm, like the phone ringing. And then the, because when that first started going off, I thought my, like something at my house was going off and I was like, what is, what is ringing? <laughs> and I personally was so opposed to the idea that it was modern times that I was like, wow, is he like a traveler, like a time traveler or whatever? And <laughs> even when the plane was coming over, I was like, oh, I guess there's like a convergence of her lies. Like I was just so opposed to it being modern times, which they speaks just to like sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. Which speaks to just like, we don't want to see those things. We don't want to have to face those in our current mm-hmm. reality. So it's easier to just ignore. But I, Yeah. I was wildly unprepared. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Um, but, yeah. We, in our research, we tried to include, because we are two white women talking about a movie meant to portray the black experience, we sought to include articles written by both uh, black women and white people and whatever was out there um, to make sure that we covered all the bases so hopefully we did this movie justice and sorry i hope i didn't turn you away from the movie go watch it it's really interesting to like watch it in itself but i probably (laughs) had i were to had i were to go back and like rewatch it again for the first time i probably would have done a little bit more research than just going Let's watch this movie. Okay, I have no idea what it's about. Nothing at all. We're going. <laughs> it might honestly be better the second time, now that you know what you're expecting. Um, right. You because, might catch the little things that you missed. Yes, but not only that, but I'll be able to appreciate more of what's going on in the present of the movie, as opposed to trying to figure out what's going to happen or how it's all connected. That too. Uh, which is what I do when I watch movies. I try to predict things and... Remember that time we watched Devil and predicted every single death and the way it was going to happen? No. (laughs) That was locked out that movie. That was so sad. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it might be better the second time. It's not a bad movie. Go see it. The acting's wonderful. Tell us what you think. An amazing job with their parts. Yeah. Um, But I thought that we would end, since we did history at the beginning, with a little bit of this month in Black History. And I know we just came off of Black History Month, but Black History should be every month. 
So, yeah, for the month of March, uh, Richard Allen founded the AME Church, which we talked about a little bit. Harriet Tubman uh, died in March. Uh, Benjamin Banneker with Lafont began to lay out Washington in the DC of Columbia District of Columbia. Oh my gosh, my head said DC and DC mouth said <laughs> district. Um, so District of Columbia. Uh, I don't. Uh, is this Jean? Probably Jean Baptiste Point Jean. Disable founded the settlement now known as Chicago. Uh, Fannie Lou Hamer was a freedom fighter who died in seventy-seven. Absalom Jones was ordained as the first black priest in the Episcopal Church. Woo woo, go Joneses! <laughs> uh, Freedom's Journal, the first black newspaper, was published by John Russworm and Samuel Cornish in 27. Nerbert Ru- 18, 1827. I feel yes, like that needs 18. to be pointed out. <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah, good point. Uh, Norbert Rilou, maybe, um, invented sugar refining. He died. Or he was born. I'm killing it right now. <laughs> um, 1806, by the way. It was 1806 when that happened when he was uh, born. The Phoenix Society was founded in 1833 in New York by Alan Braslow. Phoenix Society is now the leading national nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering people affected by a burn injury. Hmm. And I guess he survived a plane crash himself where he was severely burned and that's Ugh. where he got the inspiration he was visiting other children in the burn unit oh wow um jan matzlinger invented the first machine to manufacture an entire shoe which made me think of jumanji yep um that's Sel- where my head went to <laughs> glad we're on the same page the selma freedom march uh took place in march i think it started on the 21st um, and this is the 54-mile highway trek from Selma, Alabama, to the state capital of Montgomery, where Martin Luther King Jr. and others raised awareness of the difficulties faced by black voters and the need for national voting rights. And Scottsboro boys were arrested, which is really upsetting. Um, if you don't know Scots about that... Boys. Sorry, Scottsboro. Scottsboro boys were arrested in Point Rock, Alabama. Um, if you don't know about that whole shenanigan, go look it up. It's pretty important. Um, but basically, there were nine African-American teenagers aged 12 to 19 who were accused of raping two white women from the incident dealt with racism and... Oh, I don't know what I'm saying. Okay. Alabama. The landmark set of legal cases from this incident dealt with racism and the right to a fair trial. Thomas J. Martin was awarded the patent for a fire extinguisher in 1872. William Hastie was the first black federal judge appointed 1937. Thank you for the fire extinguisher. Yeah. Those are those come in handy. Um, and on March 30th, the 15th Amendment gave black Americans the right to vote. And this concludes our history portion of this section. So, we know that episode got really political. If it's not your spiel, let us know. We can't guarantee it won't happen again. It's just part of the movie. Yeah. Um, We will try and find more horror-related movies in the future. But this is classified as a horror. And... For our next series, movies, tell them what they've won, Katie. It's the Leprechaun and all of the following. (laughs) If you know the Leprechaun series, you understand that the first one, amazing, totally great. Then it gets a little weird and it goes into like like four, five, six different movies of weirdness that we're going to try and get all the way through. There are a lot of them. We won't shove them all into one episode. Um, No. We are going to figure out the logistics of that. If you have any commentary that you would like to include on this series, please let us know, and we will include it um, as a shout-out in our next episode. Um, Our next episode will come on the 26th. And until then, if 
you want to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. If you liked or did not like this episode or you want to tell us more, uh, make any recommendation of movies to do in the future or have your commentary added to our next episode, uh, email us at horrorcatswitchhats at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook. Um, it's the same tag as our Instagram. Horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. And I'm gonna make a jingle out of that. <laughs> Horror underscore cats underscore underscore witch hats. Witch hats. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. It's the next smelly cat.